John chapter 8, and I'm going to preach a theme and variation. (laughs) This is not exactly the same message that Pastor Morales and I are going to be sharing at 10 o'clock, but the passage is so apropos to where we are in our study of the book of Romans that I wanted to bring you a variation on the theme this morning, and we're going to actually record the 8 o'clock service today in order to have that available on the internet. It deals with our freedom in Jesus Christ, and it actually dovetails right into what we have been talking about in Hebrews chapter 4 as we are preparing to launch next Sunday our study in a new section of Romans. Uh, For those of you that have not been with us all along, uh, we are in a, a study of themes from the book of Romans, and we have just completed the segment Justification by Faith that ends in chapter 5, verse 11. After that point in the book of Romans, Paul turns his attention in a new direction. He has been talking about the remedy that Jesus Christ brings for sins, plural, our individual acts of transgression, our deeds that have been offensive to God and in violation of his character, and therefore, of course, his law. And Paul is quite plain, having concluded in chapter 3 that all are under the bondage of sin, he presents Jesus Christ as the Savior who cleanses our sins and gives us right standing with God, justifying us judicially, making us righteous judicially, clothing us with the very garments of Jesus Christ in the white robes of his own righteousness, so that we stand before God just as if I had never sinned. And he spends those next two chapters developing uh, the wonderful truth of that, and it goes all the way back to Abraham to prove the historic validity that God justifies people on the basis of faith. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, he turns the corner and begins to deal with, and they say it's not good to use these big theological words today, but I'm going to, and I'll define them, okay? He turns his attention to sanctification by faith. And we're not talking now about that uh, positional standing before God as the call of God set apart for his purpose, but we're talking now about the practical outworking of that sanctification, which gives us holiness, righteousness, godliness in our daily lives. The practical aspect of beginning to look and act like Jesus in the way we live. Because Paul tells us that we not only have a problem with a sin history, but we have a problem with a sin defect. We are sinners Uh, We sin because we are sinners. And the problem is not just that we're good people who occasionally mess up. The problem is that we are inherently 
in rebellion, and because of that, we consistently mess up. And there has to be a remedy not only to deal with the record of deeds against us, but there has to be a remedy that will solve the problem of sin permeating and controlling our lives. And that is what Romans 5.12 begins to address. How does Jesus Christ also solve the problem of bondage to the law of sin and death? Well, you'll find with that background that John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, is a perfect prelude into that. We've been talking about the Sabbath rest of God from Hebrews 4, and now Jesus' words himself in verse 31, Jesus therefore was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you abide in me, then you are truly disciples of mine, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him and said, We are Abraham's offspring and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son does remain forever. If, therefore, the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's offspring, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father, therefore you also do the things you heard from your father." They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you're seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed from and have come forth from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them, because you are not of God. Now Jesus is in a debate here, an argument as it were, with the Pharisees and uh, the Jewish leaders, and they have, they're basically challenging his credentials and his authority. And in the process of that, Jesus brings us into this passage that talks about truth, freedom, and slavery. <clears throat> 
And in the passage, he talks to them about how he is offering to those who believe his word, who will come to the truth, he is offering them freedom. And these Jews say to him, and it's really remarkable what they say. They say, we're Abraham's offspring, and we've never been enslaved to anybody. What a dumb thing to say. They're under Roman authority. (laughs) Rome is running the show. They only get to do what Rome allows them to do. Furthermore, they were in slavery in Egypt. They were in slavery in Babylon. Some of them, if they found their way back, may have been in slavery in Assyria. The the whole history of the Jews has been one of bondage and deliverance and bondage and deliverance. And even now, they are a subject nationality under the authority of Rome. It's absurd that they would say such a thing. But you know, the truth of the matter is that many of us think we're free when we're really not. We live in sort of a bubble, an illusion, that, uh, that makes us feel like we can do whatever we want to do without recognizing the truth of the fact that there are bounds and limitations that are placed upon us by circumstances and by other uh, situations that often uh, limit our freedoms significantly. The Jews made a totally absurd statement. But Jesus took that opportunity to drive home to them that he wasn't even speaking to them about political freedom. He was talking to them about spiritual freedom. And as he says to them, he says, everyone that commits sin, in verse 34, is the slave of sin. And this really goes to the heart of the matter. What Jesus is saying to these religious leaders is, you're in bondage in a way that you don't even understand. You're in bondage to sin. Sin has its grip on your life. It pulls you down. It holds you. And whether you realize it or not, you're not free even to do the things that you think you're free to do because sin has its grip upon your life. In the midst of that, Jesus makes this remarkable statement. If the Son shall set you free, you will be free indeed. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And I want to spend a little bit of time this morning developing that that idea that knowing the truth and knowing Jesus is liberating in three particular dimensions. First of all, and most of you have already come to this awareness, but first of all, we must recognize what Jesus said to the Jews. You are not free, you're in bondage. We have to come to the awareness that we are in bondage to sin before we realize how much we need a deliverer. We must come to the awareness that we are really captives before we reach out to get freedom. Many people don't realize this. Many people do not understand the way that the sin nature operates on their lives. But I'm here to tell you this morning, it's kind of like the law of gravity. Uh, 
Paul calls it in Romans, the law of sin and death. And what the law of gravity says is, you're familiar with that? You know, don't you? You're sitting in your seat this morning, you're not levitating. You walked in here, you didn't float. There are certain things that operate on you. Your car uh, maintained all four wheels on the ground, unless you were incredibly reckless. And, and you arrived here safely and predictably because the law of gravity basically says that, that everything on this planet is going to want to be on the ground. And if you throw something up, it's going to come down. Uh, now, you can defy the law of gravity, it seems, for a little while. You can put rocket engines on a long tube and you can blast it up. But eventually, if you don't escape the atmosphere, it's going to come back down. And if you're flying an airplane, uh, it'll stay up there as long as the laws of aerodynamics are in operation, other physical properties. But as soon as it runs out of energy or fuel or has engine failure, uh, heard of, a, I think it was an American Airlines flight the other evening that had an engine fire and they had to make an emergency landing, and uh, they interviewed some of the passengers, and they had quite the interesting uh, experience to tell. Those planes are going to come down. Uh, the law of gravity basically says that unless there is some uh, stronger force that can temporarily oppose it, everything that goes up is going to come down. Sin is like that. When Paul talks to us in Romans about the law of sin and death, he is telling us that there is a principle operating in our lives because of sin. And that principle is always going to take us toward rebellion, toward selfish behavior, toward uh, resisting the will of God. It's always going to bring us down. And in the midst of that, Jesus says, I can set you free. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, this truth that Jesus is talking about is true truth. It's coming to terms with what is real, not what is imagined. I don't know how to express this really as clearly as I feel it needs to be expressed. You know, a lot of people imagine things that they think are true. They have invented things in their mind. They have conjured up ideas and plans, and, and they have all kinds of fanciful notions that they have placed a lot of stock in. But it does not change the truth. Some people would like to deny the existence of God that does not make him go away. Some people would like to deny the existence of sin and judgment, but that does not change the reality that it's really there. And some people would like to, to believe that they're not as hopelessly lost as they really are, that they're not as hopelessly in bondage to sin as they really are, but it doesn't change the fact. Sometimes when it comes to our relationship, well, not sometimes, all the time, apart from Jesus Christ. 
Because the Bible says that the God of this world has blinded our eyes and we have scales on. If I were to ask everyone in this room this morning, what color are these walls, what would you say? What color are these walls? What color is these walls? Sorry. Yellow? Yellowish? Uh, how many of you think it's in the yellow family? How many of you would say that these walls are red? Does anyone here say they are red? Okay, so we're pretty much in agreement based on what our eyes are telling us that these walls are yellow. Now, if someone came into this room and said to us, these walls are red, what would you think? They come from Africa. <laughs> okay. What are, what are the possibilities? <laughs> they come from a place where yellow looks red. What is another possibility? They're colorblind. Oh, that'd be real. That'd be some kind of colorblindness. What's another possibility? They're lying. They're not. They know they're yellow when they're saying they're red. What's another possibility? They're blind. Okay, they can't see anything. What's another possibility? Huh? Okay, now we're into linguistics. Their word is different than ours is. Come. Ah, they, <laughs> they think we think they're red, and they want to make us happy. They want to fit in and, and be comfortable. They don't, they don't want to say something that's just off the charts. Okay, there's another one, at least one more that I can think of. I'm sorry, I've been thinking photography for quite a while now, but um, what do you think? Yeah, you got red glasses on, you know, and the walls look red because you're wearing red lens. But let me ask you, whatever the reason a person said these walls are red, would it make them red? It would not. Actually, the truth of the matter is these walls are every color except yellow, but I won't go into that. Colors reflect the ones they don't absorb, and so... <laughs> they stake in everything except what they give back. But we won't go there. It would not change the fact. Many people insist that they know the truth and this is what I believe. And you know what? So what? It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you would give your life for. It only matters what is. These walls are yellow. We've all agreed to that. And we could bring a color meter in here and prove it as Basically, as yellow cream exists on the planet, we could prove this. And no matter what you say, it will not change it. One of the things that grieves me more and more as I get older is that lost people do not realize that they are blind and without understanding 
and they cannot see the truth, and it does not change reality. It is appointed unto man once to die. After that, there is a judgment. They will stand before God. They will be convicted as sinners. They will spend eternity in hell. And no matter what they believe, with all of their heart, it will not change that fact. And the first thing Jesus wants us to understand is, I will tell you the truth. And if you believe me, if you believe me, therefore if the Son shall make you free, you will be free indeed. If you believe me, it will be liberating. And the first truth that we need to recognize is that we are sinners and Jesus has made a way of escape. And that is a liberating truth. What about the people that want us, that, that they think we think the walls are red, you know, and, and they want to cozy up to us, so they, they, they tell us what we want to hear, you know? Here's a room full of deluded people. And I know they're yellow, but they think they're red. So I'm going to say red for them, because I want to fit in. What? What about those people? Are they free? What are they in bondage to? Our opinion. They're in bondage to us. They're making stuff up in order to fit in. They're trying hard. doesn't make the walls a different color. But when you're free in Jesus and you can say, Hey, you know what? I am a sinner. That is a liberating truth. It's liberating. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then, as believers, let's say we've passed the first reality test, and we have acknowledged the overwhelming reality that we are in sin and need a Savior. And we have made that decision to follow Jesus Christ. There is another deeper truth that Jesus wants to bring to us. And friends, this is where you and I live this morning, okay? This is kind of where the rubber meets the road for us. You probably have already passed the first point. But let me ask you a question. What's going on in your life that still has you in bondage? What has you hung up? I can remember when I first started pastoring, I got out of training and Spent a couple of years as an assistant pastor and finally got to my first church, and it was a church plant. And everyone on my board, at least initially, was nearly twice my age. I was about 24 at the time, and my three board members 
varied from probably about 35 or 37 to 42, and one was about 50. They were all professionals. They were all successful in their fields. One of them was the chief of the appellate division of the Internal Revenue Service for the whole state of Tennessee. Another one was the regional service representative for Buick Motor Division for about eight or nine states. And another one was a sales manager with a corporation that uh, took him all over the country. And every time we would have a board meeting and someone would ask me something that I didn't know the answer to, I would get a headache. It's not why I have one this morning. <laughs> just want you to know that. But I would get a headache. And it would make me nervous. And the reason it was make me nervous is, I thought that I was supposed to know everything. I'm the pastor. I'm the spiritual guru here. I'm the leader. I'm supposed to be smart. And they want to know something that I can't answer. And I feel like I look dumb. How many of you have had similar experiences? How many of you... Fear being put on the spot and not having the right answer and you're going to look foolish. How many of you are afraid to go to a fancy dinner because you don't know what silverware to use in what order? Now, probably most of the people in this room, you're of a generation that came up with a little more of that. But uh, next hour, it might have more of an impact. Because <laughs> if it didn't come out of a bag, they don't know what to do. No. <laughs> don't tell anybody I said that. <laughs> Except it's being recorded to be on the inter <laughs> be on the World Wide Web. Oh, well. How many of you have a secret? That you're afraid might someday come to the light of day. How many of you struggle with an issue that you have very carefully constructed a defense mechanism? that will guard you and keep you intact. When you're embarrassed, you bluster and, and, and uh, kind of challenge people and change the subject. Or when you don't know how to respond to the boss that is putting the pressure on you, uh, you kind of suck it up at work, but you go home and the family suffers. 
What's going on in the nitty-gritty of your life? Down where you live, when no one sees you. Jesus said you will know the truth, and that truth will be liberating. Friends, let me tell you something. I woke up to a shocking awareness after about 10 or 15 years of pastoring. You know what that was? I don't know everything. Duh. I still don't know everything. In fact, I don't even come close. But I didn't know how to say the words, I don't know. Because I was afraid it would make me look bad. But Jesus continued to work with me very patiently until I could look myself in the mirror and say, Paul Martin, there's a lot of things you don't know. (laughs) There's a lot of things you're just really stupid about. And there's some things you think you know, and you don't know how much you don't know. And you're going to make mistakes. And I finally got to where I could say, I don't know. Or, gosh, I thought I knew and I was wrong. I apologize. I've learned new information and I gave you inaccurate information before. I didn't know how to do that for years. Because I was concerned about my image. Jesus promises to liberate us. And that liberation comes in the form of getting comfortable with who we are. Of acknowledging the true truth. Of recognizing what is real versus what is my own imagination and my own uh, passions operating. Some, some of you need to look in the mirror and say, Jesus, I acknowledge the truth. I am an angry person. I'm mad at everything. Jesus, I acknowledge the truth. I am consumed. With a desire to have stuff. I am covetous and possessive, and materialism has a grip on my life. Jesus, I am consumed with pride, and I want everyone to think well of me. I want to be seen as a person who has it all in control, and and who knows the right thing to do and the right a way to be in every situation, who has the answers. At this deeper level, Jesus says, you will know the truth, and the truth will release you. It will liberate you. I can't tell you how free I became as it eventually, I mean, I I, I labored in that church, and I served that church, And three years into it, it blew up anyway. And it split in a leadership struggle. 
and fell apart. And, and then I felt diminished. I felt inadequate. I felt like a failure. I would go to district conference and I didn't want to even be seen. I didn't want anybody to ask me how things were. They were horrible. And I was the guy at the helm. But I've learned an interesting truth. Jesus is the guy at the helm. Taint my problem. I know that sounds flippant, but that's the truth. Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. I'm just a servant. And when they're out being bad, following their sin habits, all I can do is offer to them the hope that is in Jesus Christ. And sometimes people listen and sometimes they nail you to a cross. And neither result is my problem. And Jesus says, I will tell you the truth. I will speak the truth to you in the innermost parts. When you get alone with me and you seek my face, I will tell you the truth. And you will know the truth. And if you believe it, it will free you. It will liberate you. I don't have to go out there and be somebody. I'm not. I can be who I am and be at peace with that. I can walk in this room and you say, these walls are red. And I say, what are you, nuts? I don't care if all of you think, these are yellow walls. I'm not buying that because I'm free. If you all want to go jump off the cliff, I'll do what I can to warn you, but I don't think I'm going to stand at the edge with my arms outstretched. I'm just going to step back. I've done everything I can do. I'm not going with you. Because of freedom in Jesus Christ. I don't have to have your approval. You follow what I'm saying? I'm talking to you, not me. We struggle with this. We struggle with self-image. We struggle with all kinds of insecurities. We struggle with issues and problems. We struggle with sin habits. We struggle with things in secret places that we don't want anyone to know. We struggle with these things. And Jesus says, I will come to you and tell you the truth about yourself and about me, and I will liberate you if you will trust me. But we don't end there, because you know what? That's where a lot of people end. A lot of people get so free in Jesus that they just don't care anymore, and they, and, and they live like spiritual pigs. They say, you know what? The truth is, I'm a mess. I may as well go back to the pigsty. Thank God for grace. And I want to tell you something. There's a third element to this freedom. Jesus says, you're in bondage to sin. That's the context in which he is speaking. He says, you're in bondage to sin. And if you will come to me, if you come to me, the Son will set you free. And that freedom 
is the freedom not to sin. The freedom not to sin. Because when we look in the mirror and find out, first of all, that we are sinners and all in a hopeless mess, and then we look more closely and discover the personal and particular ways that we sin individually, that's only two-thirds of the liberation, to acknowledge those truths. But the third part is to know that Jesus Christ has the power to free you from the bondage of sin that holds you down and liberate you so that you can soar. In this world, we're going to have a sin problem until Jesus comes again. The reality is that the law of sin and death permeates this planet and holds people down, but you can fly in Jesus Christ, spiritually speaking. You can live above it. You can soar with the eagles. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Jesus gives us the spiritual capacity to defy the law of sin and death by his resurrection power and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to liberate us so that we can actually deal with the issues that face us. I told you my experience of being intimidated and fearful of somebody asking a question that I didn't know the answer to and finally coming to the reality that I don't know everything, and, and that's okay. And if somebody doesn't think it's okay, it doesn't change the fact I still don't know, so that's just the way it is. But the truth of the matter is, that in and of itself is not a sin problem. My pride over it is a sin problem. But the reality is, none of us knows everything. So you're never going to fix that one. That's not a sin issue. That's just being a human being. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just thought of something, Rosemary. <laughs> human being. <laughs> yeah, I yes. Um... That's just being a human being, you know. But my pride over that is a sin problem. And Jesus says, I will release you from that. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. I will release you from that bondage of pride that you have. I will release you from that bondage of covetousness that you have. Once you can come to grips with it and admit it, I will liberate you. I will release you from your habits that have enslaved you. I will help you with your diet. I will help you with your drinking. I will help you with your loss of temper. I will deal with you in such a way that you can rise above the things that have held you down and give you wings to fly in victory and power over those things that have held you in bondage. Jesus does this. He says, the Son will make you free. He will set you free. If therefore the Son shall make you free, you will be free 
indeed. Friends, Jesus Christ offers us freedom on all levels. He brings us to the knowledge of the truth. He counsels us personally and intimately about our own self-deception. And then he empowers us to rise above it in the strength of the Holy Spirit and live in a way that we don't have to be in the grip of those things any longer. Whether it's your pride, or your lust, or bodily habits, whether it's arrogance, or temper, or impatience, or self-centered living, or the inability to forgive other people because you just keep everything that's ever been done against you tied up in your mind. Jesus Christ will free you from that. He will release you and give you liberty. The hardest truth that you will ever come to as a Christian, and I'm going to give you a preview of this because we're going there in Romans chapter 7. It's going to take a couple of months, but we will get there. And when we get there, the Apostle Paul, as a believer, says, I try very hard to do the things that I know I ought to do, and I fall flat on my face. And I find myself rather consistently doing the things that I hate. And I don't know why. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I know that in me, that is in my flesh, I'm a zero. Now he didn't say that. He said there dwells nothing good. Nothing good. Friends, the only good thing about you is that you were made in the image of God and he loves you and you had nothing to do with that. But when you get down to the nitty gritty in terms of your moral character, the scripture is abundantly clear. There is nothing good in you. When you come to that truth and you cry out with the Apostle Paul, I don't have a prayer, God. I am a disaster. Paul immediately breaks forth into praise in Romans 8 and says what the law could not do. Weak as it was because of me, God did. Sending his son for sin and in the likeness of sinful flesh, he condemned sin in the flesh in his body that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled, performed, completed in me who does not walk any longer in my own strength, that is, after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And what he offers us in Romans 8 is a marvelous experience of hope and victory and triumph and glory, and he ends that great chapter on those soaring words, If God is for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up freely for us all, How shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Who can lay any charge to God's elect? I am loved of God. He is alive in my life. 
I have the power of the Holy Spirit to give me victory. Paul says, this is the answer to my plea. Who will deliver me? It is Jesus. If the Son will set you free, you will be free indeed. Father, I pray this morning that you would drive home to us the words of your Son, that we would believe them, that we would be willing for the light of the Holy Spirit to be turned upon our hearts, that we might see reality there. Stop kidding ourselves. Stop playing games. Stop our foolish defense mechanisms. Stop hiding behind bluster and, 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 and uh, pride and all of those things. And just come to the truth. But you didn't leave us dismal and depressed in the cesspool of our own depravity. You liberated us and lifted us up and have given us hope in Jesus who is also true. And I pray this morning that we would see it clearly and come to Jesus for all that we need. I ask it in his name and for his glory. Amen.